first time wearing the Britney Spears mic in like three years. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, welcome to Advent. I, I'm actually going to say a little opening prayer uh, and then uh, get into uh, talking about hope and also um, helping to set up our whole Advent uh, season. But uh, come Holy Spirit, um, please fill our thoughts and our words and our hearts. Um, and so I want to explore this question. If we could go back to the slide. Um, what is our hope when we hope in Jesus? Um, and first I want to talk a little bit about hope because I, who here has heard like hope is not a strategy, hope is not a plan. This is like a, a thing. And this is something I have heard. I think about this a lot. Um, and I think that uh, what I want to say is that hope is more than a plan. And what I mean by that, both in English today, if we explore it, and in the ancient Greek, um, hope has the capacity to be empowering and active and transformative. Um, and if you think about any creative endeavor, whether it's something in the arts, or if you're uh, starting an organization, or a ministry, or a movement, um, if you are involved in creative work, which mirrors God's creative work, um, there's an aspect of active hope in it. And as we sharpen our hope and we, we envision something that we might do, uh, it, it becomes uh, plan-like, right? So if I hope that I can learn to play some instrument, I'm like totally non-musical. I just like music is magical to me, right? But if I developed a hope that I could actually play something and pressed into it and in, with enough specificity, that future possibility starts getting drawn into my presence, my present. Um, and so hope is fundamentally, it's creative, um, it empowers activity, or at least it can. Um, now, beyond this, though, because hope is more than a plan, we can also have hope like even when we don't have a plan, right? Uh, we can have hope even when we don't see any way forward, uh, even when we feel uh, hopeless and frightened and overwhelmed by the pain and the evil in the world. Um, we can still experience a hope beyond reason. And so hope isn't a plan because hope is more than a plan. And hope can be active and hope can be passive. And hope doesn't leave us when we're clueless, but it also doesn't leave us when we maybe have a clue. Um, and so I think that's the vision of hope that I want to sort of press into. Um, and the other concept here is um, hoping in Jesus. Um, and I think there's a, there's a basic way we can hear that that's really good, which is um, my hope is not in uh, torturing and killing people. There's a lot of people who put hope in that. They think that that will give them power and control and domination. To say, no, no, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is that there's another way that is actually better and more powerful and stronger. And that when I live my life in that way, that, that the way of Jesus is the way of the world as the world is becoming in God. That's a hope in Jesus. Um, if I I might put hope in my wealth and my money and my 401k, and I might say, this is what will protect me and keep me safe. But if I say, well, I mean, those things can be good if we do them in an appropriate way, um, but if our hope is ultimately in Jesus, who was a homeless peasant in Palestine, um, Syria Palestine, uh, we're saying, I actually trust that there's a different way that is more powerful and more enduring and, and better. And so, that hope in Jesus, just in that basic sense, I think is already a beautiful and a transformative thing. Um, but beyond this, and there's, there's a, a bunch of scripture I'm going to get into here in a minute, but beyond this, 
it also captures this idea that if Jesus is the divine logos, meaning the divine word, in the context where the scriptures were written, what they were saying was that Jesus is the reason anything makes sense at all. And you don't have to be a Christian for that to, to be the case. That The reason that we can discern that there are a row of chairs there, that we can look into a person's face and, and understand something, that the reason that anything makes any sense at all is, uh, is Jesus. And what that means is that we are in Jesus anytime anything's making sense. This is part of why people say that all truth is God's truth. Um, anytime we're learning something about the world, whether through science or through scripture uh, or through uh, arts and through anything else, that we are learning some of God's truth. And so if we hope in Jesus, it means that we are standing in this created order that God has made uh, and living in this transformative hope in an unfolding story and an unfolding work of creation that God is doing. Um, and so I want to explore hope in Jesus, um, as it relates to what we're hoping for as a church, which is that uh, we can explore uh, peace. And we hope that we can experience more of God's peace. Um, and I'd like to connect this in your mind with uh, some, a traditional Christian understanding of what it means to grow in faith and in our relationship with God. Um, I'm going to lean into the tradition even more here because our Advent order is like not typical. And, so, and there's like so many ways that the church around the world does their Advent orders. Uh, so like uh, I think when Paul in Galatians is talking about like not getting too hung up about calendars, I think he means we should be able to creatively engage and appreciate the calendars, that we're not strictly ruled by the fate of the stars, but that we're creative agents who get to play with this stuff. But so when we think about peace, I want to press into the work of God's reconciliation and the way that God makes peace with us uh, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, the way the sacrifice of Jesus makes peace with us in God. Um, so I'd like you to connect peace and the work of reconciliation um, and the work of, now here's the classic word for it, super ugly, purgation, right? So, you know, in English, purgation makes me think of vomiting, right? Um, but so, so we won't use a bunch of purgation. I'll say reconciliation. Um, but what that means is letting go of sin and letting go of sinful and harmful attachments in our lives. Um, and it's not a one-time thing. It's that we, we have an opportunity to keep learning and growing and letting go of those things throughout our whole life. And then with joy, I invite you to connect it with the concept of illumination. Um, so when we get freed up from... Uh, uh, hatred and cruelty and other kinds of sin. Um, God shows us more. And we get to see, like, God, this is how you really are. This is how things really work. Um, this is what reality really is. And that is an experience of illumination and connection with God. So you go from purgation to illumination. And then the third one, love, what's typically associated with this is, is the union. Um, it means connection uh, with God and deepening connection and wholeness um, in, in God's love. Um, now, each of those aspects too, so reconciliation, illumination and joy and um, love and uh, union, these aren't just like things that relate to how we connect with the creator of the universe who is pouring out their being and goodness into us through this process. I know that that's boring and doesn't mean anything. But it also can affect our relationships in our own lives, right? 
um, that, that in our own lives too, these processes um, help us to build um, peace and community and reconciliation. And by living into that hope that these things can actually happen and that we can actually grow in these things, uh, I think we, we're drawn more deeply into the work that God is doing. All right, so I'm going to start with uh, Matthew. Um, this is uh, chapter 1, 18 to 25. So this is the close of the genealogy, and I'm just going to expand on a little bit of this here in light of our Advent celebration. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, plans to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the, the divine breath that carries everything into being. If Jesus is the logos or the word, the thing that makes anything intelligible, the Holy Spirit is like the, uh, the breath that gives that word power so that we can receive and understand it. Um, the Holy Spirit is the divine fire that lets anything move at all <laughs> and that gives life to everything that lives. And so what they're saying is that this whole, the, the most broad, sweeping concept of life and, and uh, power that you can imagine has now come and, and is in Mary, um, has come into Mary and filled her with life. Um, she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord to the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so that's the root of the Advent hope. Um, and now I'm going to step into Colossians. Um, as we think of the hope that 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 brings, the hope that uh, the presence of Jesus brings. Um, when I think about God's creative action um, as understood in the scriptures and as, I think, revealed in the scriptures. Um, so this is Colossians 1, 15 to 29. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. So those are all of the, that's the language for the structure of government in the ancient world, um, and is also a way of understanding uh, sort of the invisible ways that things have order and are governed. So this is that logos idea I was talking about. Um, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is why anything coheres and is coherent. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this is another in, right? So the fullness of God is in Jesus, and we are in Jesus as well. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And part of what that idea, this, this atonement imagery, and we don't have a giant temple at the center of our culture, so sometimes this imagery is, is foreign to us, but part of what that's communicating is that whenever there's a breach in a relationship, um, there's, a, there's a process 
that can happen to create peace or reconciliation. And if we have the hope that that can happen, that can empower us to do it. Part of that process is the person who has wronged, and often we've both wronged each other, not with God, God hasn't wronged us, but in our own interpersonal relationships, people often mutually wrong each other. But so the party who has done the wrong needs to purge or repent. They take the plank out of their eye, right? They fix what's wrong. But you can have this sort of process, and if you look at South Africa and the truth and reconciliation process and things like this, um, there's another side that's needed for reconciliation, which is forgiveness which is an acceptance of that. And we aren't God, right? And in the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa, uh, there were people who uh, did terrible wrongs, who apologized and weren't forgiven. And I, and I can only have enormous grace for people who have been brutalized by a terrible system of oppression and haven't forgiven them. Right? This is no judgment on people who aren't able to do that. But what the atonement means and what the sacrifice of Jesus means and what the blood of Jesus speaks is that God has forgiven, and God carries out the other side of that work of reconciliation. And part of what that means is that we can be reconciled to God in this life, even when we're not able to be reconciled to people in this life. And if we really think this is how things work, if we really think this is like the fundamental story, the true, real story that God is telling in creation, then we can be agents of peace and transformation. If we can even muster a little hope, like what if things are that way? Just a little hope that things might be that way can draw us into this work of correction and transformation that, that brings justice. So I love uh, that piece of Colossians. Um, I would just share too, one other piece of this. Um, there's so much goodness in this passage. Uh, one other piece of this, so if you think of any creative act, you think of telling a story or making a piece of art, for the person who's making it, it also starts invisible, right? You'll have some vision about something you, you want to have. You want some beautiful music to be heard. Uh, and by invisible, I mean it's not experienced by anyone else. But the hope that that piece of creative action can, can happen is what then drives things to move from being invisible to being visible. Um, so then one other piece of uh, this piece of Colossians, verse 27. Um, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone. And part of what you warn people about is that the way of death and the way of torture and the way of cruelty is ultimately self-destroying. And that's good news. It's hard news, but it's good news. Um, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires, that he breathes within me. Um, and so when we are hoping in Christ, one of the things we hope for is that work of reconciliation to break out in our own lives. Um, all right, I want to talk about joy a little bit now too, and what it means to hope for joy. Um, and Katie shared this with me, and I just thought it was so perfect. Um, the word hope isn't in here, but I think it, it, it shows the power and the transformative power of an act of hope. Um, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. So that's purgation and the work of reconciliation, bringing peace. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Hope can inspire and drive action. 
looking to Jesus, the originator and perfecter of our faith. So this is also like creative language, right? If you originate something, you create something, uh, and you move it into its, its completed form, which is what perfection is about. So we can trust that if God really is who God says God is, then the God whose creative work we're swept up in in the story of Jesus will come to its, come to its completion in time. Um, who, and here's the joy part, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And so there's so much meaning in the cross. We talked about some of the atonement meanings associated with the cross. This is some of the victorious meaning associated with the cross. And the idea that uh, the Roman Empire and all of the empires and all the cruelty in the world can do anything at once. It can't defeat Jesus, and it can't defeat the people who are in Jesus. Because even its tools of shame and humiliation and mockery and slander, which we have so much of in our culture, those tools are flipped around. They get jujitsued over, right? And they get turned to glory. And that you just imagine Jesus here with his hope, which isn't just a vain hope, hope that's specific enough to be a plan, too. This hope that he could face all of that and that for all time, for the entire lifetime of this universe, for the entire lifetime of this cosmos, people would look to that and they would see that death does not have the final word, that cruelty doesn't have the final word, that slander and deception and lies don't have the final word, and that people would gather and have feasts and celebrate all over the world, forever and ever, as long as there was a world, and celebrate his victory. And to, to be able to see, to have that level of hope, to see through even that, and for that hope to be grounded in something true enough that we would be standing here 2,000 years later, that produces joy in me, and that produces a feeling of illumination. Like, wait a second. There's something broken about our world. There's something that doesn't make sense for all the things that do make sense. But if that's true, then I think everything can fundamentally make sense. Um, one other play here that I think is really fun so the joy uh, in Aramaic, which is probably the language Jesus spoke, there's wordplay between that and a feast. And so if you think of communion and you think of uh, the feast of uh, the, the uh, new heavens and the new earth, um, that's also a joy. And I, I love that the kids, I, I prompted them a little bit, but I love that the kids thought about the joy of sharing a meal with the family. Um, and I think that that's uh, at the very heart of joy. So one last little verse on love and joy together. And so this is our other hope as we sort of round the bend through um, reconciliation, joy, and illumination, and, and into um, the uh, love and the union with God that is sort of the ultimate celebration of Christmas. Um, I want to share this to sort of stir up hope in all of that too. Uh, John 15, 9 to 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. By the way, the core of his commandments is love each other. Right? Uh, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So this is the, the deepest sort of union of the Trinity that's in view here. This is uh, Jesus, the Son, uniting with us to carry us 
uh, even beyond all of our thoughts and perceptions, even farther into uh, the completely mysterious and transcendent God. Um, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Think of hearing it this way, too. I have said these things so that my feast, my communion feast, my Eucharist feast, can be in you, which we're going to take. We're going to eat it soon. <laughs> and that your joy may be complete, as we all invite anyone who wants to participate in that and share it. Um, that there is this joy that transcends sorrow. There is this connection that is greater than death. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. For you are my friends if you do what I command you. Just as an aside, so vineyards' roots uh, include a mixture of all kinds of strands. Um, but John Wimber, who is um, essentially the founder of the vineyard as a, as a national and global movement, he was formed in a friend's church, in a Quaker church. Um, and this language of friends both then and now speaks to a fundamental equality of people. Um, it speaks to not, one person not being above another. And this is God incarnate saying, you are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. This also invites us to understand love as being about having good communication, right? <laughs> having open communication where uh, there's no secrets, there's no you know, inner circle with a bunch of uh, you know, secret plans, and that uh, Jesus models being an egalitarian open book uh, where there is love, and the, that we are invited more deeply into that process um, through this movement, through peace and joy and love. And so that's like sort of an abstract look at, at what I hope will unfold um, as we press through Advent. Um, and I want to take a little time um, to invite us, to invite the Holy Spirit, um, to see if there are any words of hope that you have to share with us, anything that you hope for in this season. Um, and I really suspect, because this is a, a large group of people, that there will be people who hear something that they think might be from God, uh, and you might not want to come up and, uh, and share it, um, and that's okay, but we'll take a little time, and I, I actually want to make some space um, to invite the, anyone in the congregation to share words of hope before we move into communion. Um, so come Holy Spirit, thank you for the energizing hope and the peaceful, restful hopes that you give us, Holy Spirit, if there are any words of hope that you have for our congregation, help us to hear and to share them. I'll give it a minute of silence, and then we can invite anybody up. Sure. Um, so I asked for prayer about four weeks ago for reconciliation with my siblings. Yeah. And um, this Thanksgiving, we had phone calls on Thanksgiving, and they were just pure and loving. 
reconciliation with my siblings, which we had lost during my parents' death. Yeah. And uh, four years ago. And it's been restored. So my hope, what I'm sharing is experience, strength, and hope for prayer, answered prayer. That's awesome. Thank you, Kimberly. That, that one minute was a uh, maximum, not a minimum. I'm really glad we're sharing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, go ahead, Kelly. I hope and pray that there be no more wars, and that we can finally have peace roughly, and maybe someday everybody will love one another, not judge or hate or anything. Awesome. Thanks, Kelly. We have space for maybe one or two more. Yeah. Hi. I had an idea. Um, maybe the right word is love. I don't know. But um, we're like we're more like a family tribe, and we lean on each other more when we need things. Because I don't. I don't think it applies right now. But Isaac was talking about needing things for his business, and I'm like, I bet somebody in the church could serve him in a way and do admin work or something like that. Um, and we probably, there's probably a lot of talent in here that we don't tap into. Is there a next step in if somebody feels like wanting to help with that? Or? No, okay. sure. no next step that I know of. That's his place. I okay. was just thinking, or for me, or whatever. You know, anybody. I was just, sorry to use you as an example, Isaac. I'll use myself. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, you can reach out to me. Yes, reach out to Cindy if that fits yeah. Yes. I have stuff for my business I could use help with, like admin-wise. So. <laughs> yeah. is, is Cindy does creative work uh, in real estate. All kinds of creativity is involved in that. And uh, that you have hope for that and that you have hope for help with that, I think it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Anyone else? All right. Yeah. Um, I guess... Do I, do I just want to... Yeah, however you want to do it. Yeah. Just while, Aunt Dan, while you're talking, I just, when you were talking about if I have faith for this, and um, I just feel like we should pray for people that don't have faith and don't have hope. Mm -hmm. um, and then I really love the line of that song when that we were singing about being dressed in Jesus' righteousness alone, that I feel like it's something that we need to kind of constantly remind ourselves that our righteousness comes from Jesus alone and that it's not from how we look or what we achieve or the things we own or mm. how talented we are or any of that, but that it just comes from Jesus. So, Thank you. That's awesome. Um. So I want to talk about uh, communion a little bit. Um, I was raised Catholic, uh, and years ago at Central Virginia, it was probably a decade ago now, uh, Jared Boyd was here. He, he's a dear friend. He runs the, uh, um, the Franklinton Abbey. Um, uh, it's still part of the vineyard. Uh, Jared uh, argued for having open communion 
meaning we don't police who receives communion. Anybody who wants to come up and receive and participate in communion is welcome to do it. Um, and being raised Catholic, which is a very closed sort of tradition with respect to that, um, I had to wrestle with that. Um, and I wrestled with the uh, scripture, especially in 1 Corinthians 11, where it gets cited a lot saying, if you receive this in an unworthy manner, you will basically bring death on your community. Right? That, that gets cited a lot. Um, but if you read the broader passage, the whole source of unworthiness is that the rich in the community are eating a giant feast sort of connected to it and not letting other people participate. Right? It's, a, it's, it's a deep irony that, that we would use a passage that's urging the openness of communion practice um, to suggest that we should be closed in how we conduct it. Um, and so uh, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, I, I want you to know that you are welcome to receive and participate in communion here, um, and that it is an act of following Jesus. So it is an act of commitment to the way of Jesus to share in this feast, um, and that we remember uh, his death and his resurrection. Uh, we remember the joy that he saw set before him, that this feast would continue through all time to bring justice and healing and transformation. Um, and I also, in Matthew and in the other Gospels, uh, you will note that, that Jesus doesn't even prevent Judas from coming to the table. Now, it doesn't end well for Judas afterwards. So, <laughs> um, but part of the meaning I make of that is that all of us, every week, every day in some way, we, we betray God who is love. We don't fully live out uh, what God has for us, and God has so much grace and forgiveness, and that this is part of God's atoning work, reconciling that. And so if you do feel like there is a Judas in your heart, if there are parts of you that have betrayed Jesus, um, know that you can bring that part of you to communion and let that part of you die and, the, and enter into a process of uh, becoming more and more true to the, love of, uh, to the love of God and to the way of faith and the love of God. Um, so let's light the candle. Kelly, could you light the Advent candle for me? I've got a match here. And if the band could come up. Um, there's, um, you know, the band could, I've got matches if you want, are you sure? Okay, they are eco-friendly matches, I want you to know they're from sustainably harvested forests, but, <laughs> all right, um, <laughs> um, any of the purple ones, the pink one is the joy candle, so we'll do that on week three. So, thank you, Kelly. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we keep doing it. And we will keep doing it until Jesus returns, overcomes every power, God is all in all, and as in Adam all have died, in Christ all will be made alive, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15.22. So, come Holy Spirit, please fill our worship and our connection to this communion feast. And as a continuing act of worship, as a part of our communion service, um, if the prayer team could come up, um, if anyone would like to receive prayer, you're also welcome to receive prayer.